Maybe seated. You will want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. As we are continuing in our Christmas series, Joy to Your World, we uh, this year are studying Luke's account of the Christmas story, and we are seeing how that account is just filled with joy. And today's passage is really an amazing passage. Um, we're going to be looking at Mary, who is one of the most celebrated and also one of the most misunderstood people in all history. Mary is someone who's captured the imagination of people for over 2,000 years, and her story raises this question. What do you do when God changes your plans? Has anyone else noticed that more often than not, life does not turn out the way you planned? Anybody want to give an amen to that? In fact, I think I would say that God changes our plans all the time. What we're going to see today is such an important truth. How we respond to those changes of plans determines so much about whether or not we grow spiritually, about whether or not we become like Jesus Christ. And Mary's plans are about to change, as we will see. We meet her in verses 26 through 38. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Luke writes, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord for us today. All God's people say. Well, life, as we all know, hardly ever turns out the way we planned. Uh, I came across this week some really great quotes about this. One of them is from the famous 18th century Scottish poet named Robert Burns. And he was out plowing a field one day and he plowed through a mouse burrow. And as he watched the mice just scatter, he leaned down and he apologized to them. And he, he later wrote this poem that includes some now familiar words. The best laid plans of mice and men gang aft a glee. And a modern translation of that last phrase is go oft awry. Plans change. Here's another great quote, more recent. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. 
Now, this is from the great theologian Mike Tyson, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Rick Warren once said, so much serenity would come from understanding this truth. Nothing ever goes exactly the way you plan. I wonder if it would help some of us here today right now during this Christmas season if we were to memorize Proverbs 16, 9, which says we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. See, in his sovereign providence, the reality is God often changes our plans. And how we respond to those changes determines so very much about whether or not we experience joy in this life. So I'm going to ask this question today. How can I have joy when God changes my plans? And I wanna look at three ways that we can have joy. We we see all of these ways in Mary's story. Here's the first one. You can write it down if you're taking notes on the app. I can humbly submit. I can humbly submit to God's change of my plans. Now, what we see here is that the angel comes to Mary with a message from God, and that message changes everything. You might call this a divine interruption And Mary has a choice, and that choice is whether or not she would humbly submit. New Testament scholars tell us that Mary uh, was one of what were called back then the Anawim. The Hebrew word Anawim literally means the poor ones, and they were sometimes called the faithful poor. This is a group of people at the bottom levels of society. They were the poor, they were the sick, they were the disabled, they were those who could not trust in their own strength, and they, they knew that they had to depend on God. Now, scholars say their existence goes back at least to the exile hundreds of years earlier. The Anamim were known to often just kind of hang around the temple where they worshiped. They, they would tell God all of their troubles because they knew that God was their only hope. We see expressions of, of their spirituality in many of the Psalms that, that talk about how God cares for the humble. One example, Psalm 149.4 says, the Lord crowns the humble with salvation. In Luke 2, next chapter, we'll be looking at part of that chapter in the weeks that are still ahead of us. In Luke 2, we see two other characters who are Anawim. They, they figure into the Christmas story. There was a woman named uh, Anna, and there was a man named Simeon. And both of these uh, people were very old people who had spent much of their lives just hanging around the temple, just waiting for Messiah to come. Now, we know that Mary came from this group because when Jesus was born, she could not afford the, the normal offering of a lamb for his dedication, We know this about Mary because in her prayer that we're going to look at in a moment, the the Magnificat, in, in verse 48, she is going to say, for he, that is for God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's kind of like code language for the Anawim. You see, Mary knows about depending on God because Mary has no other hope. And as we meet her, we are aware that finally something good has happened to Mary. She gets engaged. And for a young Anna Weem girl, this could mean the difference between life and death. See, Joseph, he's not rich, but he's respectable. He's got an occupation. And maybe for the first time in Mary's life, it's it's like her circumstances are, are looking up. She's getting married. She's gonna have a family. And then... God changes her plans. 
And an angel appears to Mary, as we see in verse 28, and the angel says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Notice in verse 29, Mary's response. It says, Mary is greatly troubled. Not just troubled, greatly troubled. Why? Why, why is that? Well, this is precisely the kind of greeting that the angel of God would give to someone in the Old Testament when that person is about to get a difficult assignment. You know, Judges 6.12 is a classic example of this. An angel comes to a guy named Gideon and Gideon is hiding from the oppressive Midianites that are ruling over the people of Israel. The angel says to Gideon, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon finds out he's gonna have to lead the army against the Midianites. And we're gonna see in a few moments that, that Mary really did know her Old Testament. In fact, I will tell you ahead of time, you will be surprised at how well Mary knew the Old Testament. And so I think we can conclude Mary heard the angel's greeting and immediately concluded that this is going to be a deep and difficult challenge for her when she hears those words, the Lord is with you. And it's important to understand this because uh, so many of the classic depictions of Mary in art, they they show her as just this completely um, unflappable, absolutely unperturbed person when this angel shows up and, and greets her. In all the stained glass windows and all the cathedrals in Europe, Mary always appears totally serene. She's completely calm. But that's not what Luke is telling us here. Art historians tell us that the first painting that started to change uh, all of this was this one that I'm showing you right now. It was painted by a man named Dante Rossetti in the 1850s, and it was very controversial painting at first. Why? Well, it, it painted Mary as a normal human being who was, as Luke says here in the Bible, greatly troubled by the angel's visit. Can you see this? Uh, Rossetti, he painted Mary based on his own uh, younger sister. And I, I love the, the body language she's showing here. It's, it's like she's trying to get away from the angel. She's not even looking at Gabriel. She's greatly troubled. Why? Well, God is interrupting her life. And though she would not have understood all that this would mean in this moment, she knows that what God is asking of her is going to be enormous. She knows that everything is about to change forever and she will not know the life that she's planned, the life that uh, a young girl from the Anawim would have dreamed about. And you know, when God changes our plans, it's usually like this. I mean, just think about it. How often in the Bible does an angel show up and say, the Lord is with you, and now your life is gonna grow easier and more comfortable? That just doesn't happen, does it? That's what we pray for, right? But that's not how it works. In fact, one way that you can recognize a truly divine interruption is that usually it is a summons to servanthood, not comfort or wealth, or power, like if it's December in Minnesota and you suddenly think you hear God calling you to serve him in Hawaii, you might want to listen again. That's probably not God because usually when God interrupts someone's life, he's calling them to serve. 
Now, let's just kind of hit the pause button on Mary's story for a moment. I just want to get real personal. I want to ask you a question very directly. It's simply this. When was the last time in your life that you humbly submitted to one of God's interruptions? When was the last time that you willingly let God interrupt your plans, your agenda, It's kind of an interesting thing in our world. Maybe you've noticed this. The more important someone is, the more they are able to insulate their life from from ever being interrupted. In fact, there's there's generally kind of this inverse correlation between status and and interruptibility. And one reason that you could interrupt an anawim is because they're used to being interrupted. Nobody cares. (laughs) In our world, we, we have all kinds of tools that we have, ha, have built up to protect us from interruption. We screen our calls with caller ID, with voicemail. In our offices, sometimes we have these little buttons that we can push that just send any call straight to voicemail. We don't even have to hear it ring. Important people, CEOs, they will sometimes have like teams, whole squads of, of assistants who protect and shield them from interruptions. And it's so easy for all of us to begin to think that our agenda, our plans, are our life. But God never works or moves according to human agenda. Almost always, when God works in someone's life, he comes to them and he interrupts them. He changes their plans. He comes and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home and I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you have ever known uh, in this city you live in called Ur and I want you to go to a a land and oh, by the way, I'm not gonna tell you where it is until you get there. Interruption, change of plans. Moses, Moses, I want you to leave the wilderness where you have been hiding, where you have felt safe for 40 years now. Gideon, I want you to Leave your hiding place in that hole in the ground and I want you to lead my people into battle. God interrupts. And this is supremely true at Christmas. In fact, you might even say that Christmas is God's great interruption. Now there's some people, if you read the Christmas story like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we looked at them last week. Mary and Joseph, uh, the shepherds, the magi. There are people that say yes to God. But then there are some people like Herod and they say no. And my question right now is for you. What about you? What about you? You know, maybe, maybe your agenda isn't all bad, but what if your plans are actually keeping you from truly knowing God and truly seeing God work in and through your life? Sometimes God's interruptions are, are huge, like, like with Mary. Sometimes they are small, what, what, if, what if what looks like just a, a small interruption in your day actually is part of God's plan for you? What if God interrupts you and he's actually encouraging you, he's nudging you to, to speak words of comfort and encouragement and strength to someone who's down and discouraged? What if he's calling you, interrupting you and saying, I want you to serve a neighbor I want you to listen to this person because they are in pain. And I want you to do this even though you think you're too busy. So ask yourself another question. How open am I to God's interruptions? How often do I find myself thinking, God, 
is there, one, is there something you want me to say today? I, I am here, I am ready, I'm available. Is, is there someone you want me to notice today and encourage today? Is there someone I can serve? Is there some love that I can show? Do you ever ask those kind of questions? Is this ever on your radar? Or are you always focused in on, zeroed in on your plans, your agenda, your schedule? Here's another question that you can, you can ask. Actually, I'm gonna state it as a, a statement. Uh, two primary ways that God interrupts us have to do with sharing our faith and with giving. And so let me ask you to think specifically, could God be calling you to interrupt some plan you have and to be bold and to be courageous this Christmas season so that you can share Jesus with someone? This fall, uh, over 150 of us identified uh, our one, someone in our life that we wanna share the gospel with and we've been praying for them and, and looking for opportunities to share with them. Maybe this Christmas season is the time when God's gonna open a door and you can share the good news of Jesus. Will you allow God to interrupt your Christmas busyness? You know, a lot of us like to say, Jesus is the reason for the season, and then well, we just don't tell anybody about that. We go through the whole Christmas season without actually ever letting anyone know what we believe the season is about. And then what about giving? We, we want to use our money for our agenda. In fact, I think it's at this place of money that we get most focused on our agenda, what we want to do, our plans. And yet, isn't it true when we read the Bible that God regularly calls us to give, that God calls us out of ourselves, that God calls us to care more for other people than ourselves, that God even calls us to sacrifice? Is there some way that God is, is calling you to give and to give sacrificially during this Christmas season? And are you even willing to ask him? In fact, this is not in my notes. I actually thought about it during the first service and it came back to my mind again. So I'm just gonna ask you directly. I wanna challenge you to write that question down where you can look at it again and you don't forget about it as we move on in the message. Am I willing to ask God where he wants me to give above and beyond what I already do. And if you don't wanna do that, that means you're not willing. If you don't wanna do that and that means you're not willing, then what does it say about your relationship with God? What does it say about your relationship with Jesus? See, see God is calling us to let him interrupt us when he has plans for us. Are you willing to ask him, and then consider this question, what joy are you gonna miss out on if you don't? See, God changes our plans, and when he does, the question is always, will we humbly submit? When we do, we can experience joy. Here's the second way that we can know joy when God changes our plans. Again, you can write this down. I, I can fearlessly trust. Now, this step of trust, it does lead to joy and it's especially important when God makes big changes in our lives. And, and Mary is facing a big change. That's why Mary was troubled when the angel greeted her. 
But I think her distress in that moment must have grown greater and greater as she was hearing more about what God was up to. Look, look again at verses 30 to 33. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you look back at the text, you'll see the angel started his his, uh, speaking to Mary uh, by telling her not to fear because she had the favor of God. That's verse 28. He says it again in verse 30. You have the favor of God so What is God's favor? And I think there's a lot of confusion about this, especially uh, the way a lot of us talk. I I think a lot of us, when we talk about God's favor, we we think it means that like we're rich or something, that we're, you know, blessed. Everything's going well for us. You ask, you know, some Christians how they're doing and they'll say, I'm blessed and highly favored. You ever had someone say that to you? Blessed and highly favored. And sometimes, often it means that you know, life's just going really well for you, almost, almost like a, a Christian version of I'm lucky. I'm blessed and highly favored. I, I heard a TV preacher talk about this one time, and he described how he got a really good parking place at the mall during Christmas. That was the favor of God on his life. And sometimes we, we think, oh, it's like I, this house. I've always wanted this house, and now it's in foreclosure, and I can get it for a really amazing deal. I'm blessed and highly favored. Or your kids are getting straight A's, or you got a job promotion at work. Is that how you think of it? If you think of God's favor in some way like that, here's what I want you to see right now in this text that we are studying. I want you to compare your conception of God's favor to Mary's situation. Because the angel who speaks for God has just told her that she's highly favored. That means that she is highly favored, right? Can we agree on this? Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. You know, I just want to make sure you're here. Um, But Mary is highly favored. Look at her situation. She's just been told that she's going to be pregnant with no husband. And this is in a culture where that means ostracism, Poverty at best, it means a death sentence by stoning at worst. Does that sound like your version of God's favor? This man that she loves, that she's betrothed to, Joseph, he's probably not going to understand the situation and he'll probably leave her. I mean, wouldn't you? Joe, it was the Holy Spirit, right? Would you have believed that? She's probably gonna lose that relationship. She's already poor. If Joseph rejects her, she's gonna be destitute. She might have to beg. Her reputation in her community is going to be ruined. And we know that it really was ruined with some people for the rest of her life. Is that what you think of when you think of highly favored, I'm favored by God? How could she be highly favored? Well, the angel tells her, It's right there in the text. Just keep going. He says, you're favored with God. Why? Because she's going to have a baby. She's going to have a baby who will be God's son. This baby's name will will be Jesus. And that that name means God saved. This baby is going to come and he's going to save his people from their sins. That includes Mary. So what if her main problem was not her finances or not her reputation? What if her main problem was a severed relationship with God? 
The angel is telling her that her baby is going to be born. He is coming to restore that relationship with God. I mean, think about it. This, this fact that her pregnancy essentially puts her under a curse of death is supposed to be a picture for us of why Jesus was born. Jesus was born to a woman under the curse of death. We, the whole human race, live under the curse of death because of our sin. So Jesus was born to us and he would grow up for us to die in our place so he could take away that curse. Does that sound like good news? That's good news. Mary is highly favored because God is changing her plans and he's bringing salvation to the world. You see, Luke is just shouting this to us from the very beginning of the gospel. In verse 32, this angel says that this son that's gonna be born will not only save his people from their sins, he will rule from the throne of David. Now to the Jewish people, Uh, David's throne symbolized the restoration of worldwide peace and and blessing, what what they would call shalom. And we all know today, don't we, that our world is broken, that our world is cursed by sin. We all, I think, look around every day and we just, we long for the curse and the pain of sin to be taken away. The angel is saying, the birth of this baby is telling us we have pain, but he is being born and he is coming to remove that pain by sitting on David's throne. The throne that gives shalom. In my Bible reading yesterday, I I read through the Bible every year in December. One of the places I'm reading always is the minor prophets. I was reading Joel, the the Old Testament prophet Joel. And in Joel 2, God makes this promise to Israel. Some of you know it. God says, this is chapter 2, verse 25. He says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I will restore the years that the locusts were eating. And In that time when Joel wrote, the locusts were the judgment of God on the sin of Israel. And God is is saying through his prophet, I will not only forgive your sin, I will give back to you everything that this fallen world has taken from you. You read the book of Job. Job, this godly, righteous man, he suffers so much, he loses everything. And you read through this very long book, you get to the last chapter, it's the 42nd chapter, and it says in the closing verses of that chapter that his final days were were filled with God restoring to him sevenfold what he had lost. Now, that is not a promise that if you can just live long enough, hang on long enough, that one day you'll retire wealthy. That's not what is being said. In fact, that promise really is not about this life at all. That promise is saying that sometimes in this world, sometimes, and always in eternity, God will restore to his people everything that this broken world has taken from them. God will restore everything that you have lost on earth, every ounce of pain you have gone through, God reverses it. He restores to you that peace, that fullness that you are always longing for. He resurrects the life that the curse of sin has taken away. This is what it means for Mary's baby to sit on the throne of David. It means that bodies destroyed by disease will leap and run in perfect health. It means that reputations that have been ruined forever in this world 
are restored forever in eternity. It means that wrongs are made right. In the words of the author, J.R.R. Tolkien, who, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, it means in that day, he said, everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. Now, Tolkien did not mean that we're gonna forget the bad things that happened or that God's gonna rewrite history. It's just that the feeling of loss and the feeling of damage is gonna be taken away from us forever. And what's more, we are going to see in that day that God was actually using our pain for our good. See, in Mary's life, because Mary went through these things, this unjust death sentence, the hardship that seemed like it would be impossible to overcome, Mary got to understand her son Jesus more. And she was going to learn that nothing was impossible with Jesus. God took her hardship. God reversed it. God used it for her good. All of the sad things in her life came untrue. And if we walk with Jesus, he is doing the same things for us, for us. We have pain. He will reverse it. We have disappointment. He will erase it. We long for justice. He will make all things right. And, and that is what the angel was telling Mary. And though, though she surely could not have understood all of this in the moment, the question she faced is the question we face. Would she trust? Will you trust are you gonna trust God when, when God changes your plans? Are you gonna trust that what God is doing in your life and in the world is, is ultimately for your good? So we face the reality that God's changes of plan often bring us fear. God's changes of plan are often beyond our ability to understand. We, we, we see that in Mary's life and we, we have the same thing that we wonder about. What is God doing? Why is God doing this? How is this all going to work out? That's what Mary wondered. Look back at the a story in verse 34. Mary asks a question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. You know, I don't know if you've read these words and then you remembered what we, what we studied last week with Zachariah, and you've, you've asked, well, why was it okay for Mary to express doubt and not okay for Zachariah? I mean, last, last week we saw Zachariah ask a question, and he got like a nine-month timeout, right? Couldn't talk for nine months. Why is this okay? What's the difference? Well, if you look at it and think about it, I think you'll see the answer's pretty straightforward. Mary's question is more about her not understanding I don't understand how I can have a child since I'm a virgin. That's really what she's asking. It's just honest doubt. I don't get it. I don't understand. Whereas Zachariah, well, he demanded an answer. He said, how can I be sure? How can I know for sure? His doubt was the doubt of disbelief. So Mary's humble question, asking for more understanding, is a good reminder to us that the right kind of doubt, honest doubt, doubt that wants to trust God, doubt that's open to God, that kind of doubt is okay. It's okay to ask God questions if we ask in humility and ask in trust. The angel answers her, verse 35, and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. The angel tells Mary that God's Holy Spirit will supernaturally work a miracle and supernaturally conceive a baby in her womb, even though she is a virgin. And that's the reason why this baby will be the Son of God. And then the angel says, as evidence that God has the power to do that, he says, you have a relative. Her name is Elizabeth, and she is miraculously pregnant in her old age. Maybe you come to this Christmas season and you're struggling. You're, you're struggling with how God has changed your plans, how, how God has changed your life. Maybe there is a pain in your life you don't think you can bear. Maybe there is a grief in your life and it is just overwhelming to you. Maybe you have experienced great injustice and it seems like God is not doing anything about it. The angel says to Mary, have hope because a baby is going to be born. He is the son of God and he's going to sit on David's throne. And maybe he's saying the same thing to you. Maybe today you need to be reminded that if you know Jesus, if Mary's baby lives in you, then you too are highly favored. You too have the ultimate favor of God. You have God's favor. So what is God's favor? Well, ultimately, here's what it is. The favor of God is the assurance that Jesus Christ has paid for all your sins. That Jesus has made you a son or a daughter of God forever. That God could not love you anymore right now because Jesus, God's son, has suffered in your place and take, taken your punishment, the punishment for your sins. You have God's favor because God has promised you as his child that one day, one day, he will erase every disappointment. He will restore and reverse every pain. He will right every wrong you've ever suffered and that God is right now, right now, today, working in your life for good. He is taking even the bad things in your life and he is using them for his glory and for your ultimate good. Does that sound like something good that you wanna have? In Christ, you have it. It is the favor of God, and that changes everything. God's favor, it's not always easy. In fact, I would say that's one reason why we shouldn't trivialize it like we sometimes do. Sometimes, as with Mary, God's favor will include, yes, pain and hardship and, and grief, but that favor, that favor of God is always good because it, it always brings you in the end what you ultimately need and what you ultimately want, and that's Jesus. You get Jesus, knowing Jesus is eternal life itself. Maybe you're hearing all this today and you get it at one level, you understand it with your mind, but maybe you're saying right now because of something you're going through, I just can't... I, I cannot feel that right now. It just doesn't quite seem real right now. Maybe if that's you today, what you need is the next word the angel gives to her, and that's verse 37. Verse 37 is one of the great statements in Scripture. Notice the angel's words again. The angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. Does anybody need to hear that today? Maybe some of you need to underline those words 
This is where God needs to interrupt you right now because you're facing a problem in your life, a challenge in your life like Mary and hers, and, and you need these words. Maybe, maybe what you need is to memorize these words and you need to pray these words every day. Every day. Nothing is impossible with God. See, whatever God is asking you to do, he will give you the power to do it. This is, I think, one of the greatest statements ever uttered. But if there is a greater one in the Bible, it might be the very next verse, verse 38. These are such amazing words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. This is such a strong statement. In in New Testament Greek, there are are two general terms for a servant. One is the word diakonos. We, We get our word deacon from that. It's kind of just a general, generic word for servant. But there's a stronger word, and that is the word doule. And doule means slave. And it's about uh, the, 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 the people that are on the bottom of the status you know, uh, pile. They're, they're at the very bottom of the power hierarchy. And that's the word Mary uses. She says, I'm the Lord's slave. I'm the Lord's doule. May it be to me as you have said, God, I am not in control and I know it. God, it is your plan and I know it and so I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. When you think about it, and maybe we should think about it more, when this baby of Mary's is born, Jesus Messiah, and he grows up and he lives. You remember, he lives as a servant And when Jesus lives as a servant and when Jesus loves and he identifies with the outsiders, with people in humble conditions, you need to remember it was no accident. Just think about who raised him. Here's a question, another one to write down and ask yourself. Where do I need to pray Mary's prayer right now? Mary's prayer is... I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Anybody here need to pray that prayer today? God, I'm just your servant. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you say, God. Whatever you're telling me to do, God, may it be to me as you have said. You might find yourself here in a situation that's really not your first choice, just like Mary. Maybe, maybe you're having to work a job you really don't love, but you need to be there to pay the bills and feed your family. Maybe you're single and you'd really like to be married. Maybe you have a, an illness and it just won't go away and nobody can figure out exactly what's wrong. Maybe, maybe for you it's kind of an ultimate loss. And maybe what you need to pray today is, Lord, I wouldn't choose this situation, but I will choose to serve you in the midst of this situation. I will not let this defeat my spirit. I will do what you tell me. I will start serving you right here and right now. And this is not primarily about how you feel. This is a decision of the will, a choice of the will. Will you fearlessly trust and serve God? The story continues in verse 39. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Mary, after this encounter with the angel, she gets up and she goes on a journey to see the one person who can maybe understand at least a little of what she's going through, and that's her relative Elizabeth. This is a a woman who's We're told older, like around 60 years old, and that's like ancient, you know, just really, really old, over 60 years old, and and, uh, it's a joke, people, okay? I had a birthday yesterday. I'm kind of feeling it a little bit, you know? But she's old, and she's pregnant for the first time. I mean, it's, it's a miracle. And Mary knows about Elizabeth because the angel told her But Elizabeth doesn't know about Mary until Mary enters her home and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps at the sound of Mary's voice and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and God reveals to Elizabeth who Mary is, the mother of my Lord. Don't don't miss something really remarkable here. Jesus who is yet unborn, is worshiped in this moment by Elizabeth. He's not even been born. She calls him my Lord. The Holy Spirit enables this unborn baby John to recognize who Mary is, who her child will be, and he leaps for joy. And then there's this last statement. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. See, Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is blessed, that she's favored. Why? Because Mary believes. Because she is fearlessly trusting God. There is so much joy happening here. Do you see it? And what I hope you're, you're, you're getting is that for us to experience joy when God changes our plans, we have to trust God We have to choose to trust him, even when we don't understand what he's doing. But here's the thing. It's only when you trust him that you truly are able to know the joy of Christmas. That's when it happens. So are you trusting him now, even if he's changed your plans? Here's the third way, the final way that we can know joy. And it's just to make this choice to rejoice. You can write it down like this. I can always rejoice. And we're gonna close by reading a prayer that is now 2,000 years old, and I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, it is an astounding description of God's kingdom breaking in to this earth. And it is called the Magnificat, and it is a prayer of Mary. It begins in verse 46 where it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary just stops to express her, her joy and her wonder at what God is doing in and through her. And here's something you cannot miss in this prayer. It's so important you see this. See, sometimes we find ourselves thinking that if we fully give ourselves to God, we fully submit to him, we, we totally trust in him, that it's gonna lead to nothing but misery. If you ever think that, you need to know that any time God changes someone's plans and that person says yes to God, then sooner or later, somewhere down the line, eventually, ultimately, it leads to joy. Always, it leads to joy. See, in these verses, Mary stops to do one other thing before she kind of gets on with her life after the angel leaves. She rejoices in the Lord. This prayer, maybe you know this, is, is called the Magnificat because of Mary's words at the very beginning of verse 46. My soul glorifies, or some translations say magnifies the Lord. And uh, the word Magnificat is the very first word in the Latin version of this prayer. And this is an incredible prayer. This, this prayer reveals what a remarkable person Mary is. And I'm gonna say some words about this, so important. And some of us come uh, to uh, who Mary is from traditions where, where she was venerated almost to the point of being worshiped sometimes. And others of us come from traditions where we just ignored her. We, we never even talked about her. But we need to see here, it's so clear in this text, Mary is a remarkable person. Uh, this, this Magnificat is, is really a classic example of an Anaheim prayer. In, in this prayer, we see the humble are exalted, the proud are brought down, the hungry are fed, the selfish rich are sent away empty. This is how the kingdom of God works, where God turns everything upside down. The first are last, the last are now first. The servants are great, the slaves are the greatest of all. The kingdom of God is now here. And Mary, <clears throat> Mary is the one who saw it and who rejoiced in it. And out of her joy, she just pours out this magnificent prayer. I want you to take a guess at something. How many references or allusions to the Old Testament do you think this one prayer contains? Just take a guess in your mind. Just come up with a number. Back in the early 90s, about 30 years ago, I, I did some of my PhD work under a New Testament scholar by the, the name of Scott McKnight. He has since written an entire book on Mary. This is what he writes in his book. He says, there are more than 30 allusions to Old Testament verses in this one magnificent prayer of thanksgiving. But there's something even more amazing than that. Do you know how old Mary was. Consensus among New Testament scholars is that she was probably 13 or 14. That was the age that girls were betrothed then. You think about the mind of a 14-year-old girl 
being capable of a prayer like this. Think of some 14-year-old girls you know. Maybe you're here today listening and you are 14. Do you have any idea what God can do with one 14-year-old girl? He brought his kingdom into this world through one. And partly it was because Mary's mind was immersed in Old Testament scriptures We don't have enough time really to get into this very deeply, but you must never forget that Mary was more than just an incubator for the body of Jesus. She was his mom. Sometime after Jesus was 12, most likely his dad died because we we never uh, hear about Joseph again. By the time Jesus is an adult, Joseph is not on the scene anymore. And it's very interesting when you look closely at this prayer, you will see that many of the themes of Jesus' teaching and ministry are right here in this prayer. In verse 49, Mary says, holy is his name. Do you remember the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. She says, about God, he has filled the hungry with good things. You remember that Jesus also taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. She prays, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. Do you remember when they told Jesus that Herod Antipas was trying to kill him and Jesus said, go and tell that fox, I will keep healing the sick and preaching the gospel today and tomorrow and on the third day, I'm gonna reach my goal. And when you see this, and there's more, you you start to see from a human perspective where so much of Jesus' teaching came from. See, don't forget, Jesus was fully divine. He's God, the Son of God. But he's also, at the same time, fully human. Mary's 14-year-old mind is immersed in in all of these Old Testament scriptures. And so as she faces all of these problems, her, her mind and her heart are simultaneously filled with hope. And she can say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here's one other thing that's so striking about this. Do you understand, do you realize, do you see that this expression of of great unstoppable joy comes, happens before she has seen the outcome of any of this? None of it's happened, not yet. She is still a single unwed mother in a culture where sometimes they stone you for that. She doesn't know how her fiance Joseph is going to respond. She doesn't know if her family's gonna reject her. She doesn't know what kind of scandal this is gonna cause in her village In just a couple of years, Herod, the king, is gonna respond with infanticide. He's gonna attempt to kill every baby boy born around Bethlehem, and she and her little family are gonna have to flee, leave their country, travel to Egypt. She knows that life will be incredibly hard, but she doesn't know how everything will turn out. And still, still, she's rejoicing. And I think the secret to her joy is in that first line in verse 46. Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Now, the Greek word used there is the word makarizo, and it means to make great, it means to extend, it means to magnify. And when you grow up as an Anawim girl like Mary, you learn really, really early in life that you can magnify your problems or you can magnify the Lord, and it's one or the other. 
And she has chosen to magnify the Lord, and so she rejoices. Let me just ask you, when was the last time God invited you to just stop worrying about whatever it is you're worried about and just rejoice in the Lord? When was the last time that God invited you to do that and you did it? You said yes. You rejoiced. Here's another question. Think about this one. When does God want me not to be joyful? Obviously, there are times to grieve. And we have people in our church family going through grief right now. There are families who are part of this family who have lost loved ones just in recent days. There are times to grieve. There are times that we need to repent of sin. There are times that, that, that things are very, very serious. There, there are times where this is the case. Life is not always happy. But the overall condition to which God calls his people is really, really clear. Philippians 4, 4 says it very succinctly. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. And what's next? When? Always. And then Paul says, and again, I will say rejoice. And you know, so many times... I just close myself off from joy. I just get self-preoccupied. I have, have these problems and I'm carrying them all around by myself and I cannot solve them. How many times when I am doing that, when you are doing it, how many times does God say, just stop. Just stop worrying. Just stop obsessing about your little life. Just stop thinking the whole world is being carried around in your shoulders. Just rejoice and be glad. See, we need to rejoice in the Lord always, but we need to rejoice in the Lord, I think, at this time of the year above all times. Why? Well, because Mary had a baby. Aren't you glad? See, I don't care what problem you may be facing in your life. Mary's little baby can handle it. He grew up real good. And he has all the power and all the wisdom. And therefore, we, his children, have nothing to worry about. I was thinking this week about this song. I wonder how many times when Jesus was just a little boy, how many times did Mary sit him on her lap and sing him her song? You know how kids have songs they just love? You know, they, they start singing a song and they keep repeating it until you're sick to death of it, right? You know how that goes? I wonder maybe if this was Jesus' favorite song. If he would say to her, when he was just a little guy, sing it to me again, mama. Sing me that song about how God is so big. I want to hear it again. And I wonder what would happen when she would sing to him the story of how the angel came to her and told her that her old life, her old plans and her old dreams were all now gone. And the angel offered to her a new life, a, a painfully and joyfully magnificent life if she was willing to die to the old one. I wonder if she told Jesus how she thought about it and, and then how she said, may it be to me as you have said. 
I wonder how quiet Jesus got when it came to that part of the song. I wonder how much Jesus knew about what she went through for him. I wonder how many times she said to that little boy as he was growing up, it's okay, son, it's okay. Your heavenly father has always been faithful. And so if he ever asks you to do a hard thing, son, remember how your life started. Remember what your mom said when she was just a scared teenage girl. Years later, in the garden, in the shadow of the cross, we know that the father did ask the son to do a real hard thing. Will you take on, on yourself, the weight of the sins of the world, the death of this world, Jesus, my son, so that love and life can begin the great restoration? And we know that Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the son of Mary, he thought about it for a moment, and he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. May it be to me as you have said. And I wonder when he prayed that in the garden, if he thought, hey, mom, hey, mom, I'm singing your song. I'm singing our song. I'm saying yes to the hard thing. Never forget that though Jesus was God, a very God, he was also his mother's son. Jesus, the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. This is God's word for us today. Southwinds, will you receive it? Will you hear it? Will you live it? And will you know joy? All God's people together, we say, Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? You know, in this moment when the season can be so busy and filled with so many things, I just want to encourage you to take a moment to ponder and treasure and remember everyone magnifies something. What will you magnify? Everybody sings something. What song will your life sing? Heavenly Father, on this day that we remember Jesus, we also remember his mom. And Lord, we are amazed and we marvel and, and we're undone. And now, Lord, that old, old song comes to us and that, that old question gets asked of us again. Will we die to our old plans and our old dreams and our old life? so that through Jesus, we can experience the very life of God. God, I pray for everyone listening right now. Some are in that highest place. Life is, is great. And some are in the lowest place. Life is so dark. Would you speak to us, Lord, the truth that we each need to hear would you strengthen us, Father, to be able to say to you like Mary, Lord, I, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus, Son of God and Son of Mary, and all God's people together say,